With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Book of Joe podcast. Of course, it's the same name as the book, the actual book, The Book of Joe, written by me, Tom Verducci of Fox Sports, MLB Network, and Sports Illustrated, and of course, Joe Madden, three-time Major League Manager of the Year. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing great. How about yourself, buddy? Uh, got a little wet down there right here? Yeah, how about that? I have a trip, a postseason trip to Dodger Stadium and Petco Park, and I got rained on in both places. But you know what? That's the way this postseason has gone, Joe. I mean, we're talking about Dodgers went home, Braves went home, Mets went mm-hmm. home. All these teams winning more than 100 games are now watching the postseason. So let me start there because obviously you were one of the teams in the last 21 years that won a championship and did not repeat. The Braves are the latest. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you see anything, any pattern here, Joe, why it is more difficult to repeat as a World Series champion than it's ever been since the World Series began? There's so many hurdles. Uh, There's so many hurdles when the World Series began. I mean, it was a National League and American League. You win your league and you go play seven games and go home. Um, Just even the thought of it, if you have to go through the wild card round, then to the DS, CS, and then, of course, the World Series, I don't think people process that well enough. It's it's hard. It's it's mentally difficult. It's physically difficult. Forty games in spring training, one sixty two, and then you got to go ahead and compete again. Um, you know, when you're not really feeling the greatest, more than likely, there's probably a lot of bumps and bruises. Uh, there's the mental component to it. Uh, and again, like I've talked to you about, see with first time eyes, feel with first time passion. All these things play into it, and I think it's a, a bad assumption to think that it's kind of like because you've been good the year before, you should be favored to do it again. I almost think that like like it's uh, indicating that it puts you on the on the list of probably not going to repeat again. Um, it's just not easy. And last point, please realize, folks, that the other team are professionals also. And I think we underestimate or we don't give enough credit to the group that's ascending too. So all these things could uh, conspire to make it difficult to repeat. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know as well as anybody, the margin of victory is so small, but that also means the narrow of, of defeat, the margin of defeat is so narrow as well. I think about the home run Javi Baez hits in the basket to beat Johnny Cueto yep. to survive the 16 
NLDS for the Cubs. And you think about Max Fried starting game one for the Braves. He's, you know, battling the flu a little bit. Just wasn't the same kind of pitcher that he had been. Just wasn't feeling great. These things happen in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's another layer to this that it's hard to describe. And it is feel. And I know uh, I get maybe scoffed at by those, but um, that those don't understand. But it's true. I mean, there's a certain vibe that it, that's attached to a club that's been doing well. Look at the Phillies right now. Uh, and 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 the, and the vibe they got going on, and the Padres too. They both they're riding a high. Uh, you know, they both won very difficult series to get to that next round, and that had a lot to do with their success um, and and the potential for upcoming success. They believe in themselves. Their confidence is up. And I also believe I haven't mentioned this yet, but when you bang 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 to get to the playoffs, and it's really difficult. And it's and I know this happened to the two thousand and two Angels. Man, we had not done it before. So. You get to that to the to the door there, and even just to clinch to clinch to get into it, it's really uh, that to me is probably the most pressurized moment, just to get there if you haven't done it before, meaning the playoffs. And then once you get in the playoffs, you're almost able to chill just a little bit, relax. We kindly we, we finally got there, and it's it's hard to evaluate what that means too, other than the fact that I think it's a positive. So you get to relax. We finally got there. We're in. We're in the door. Now we could just kind of relax and play. I think you saw that with the Phillies. I think you saw that with the uh, the Padres, too. So it's kind of interesting um, The how difficult it is to get there is one thing, and, and maybe you look like you're pressing towards the end of the season. Here come the playoffs, different group. Yeah, really good points. And that brings me to the other side of the coin, which is the Dodgers, Okay. Mm-hmm. I think the Dodgers have to really reevaluate how they go about playing these postseason games. You know, it's very standard procedure for them to get their starting pitcher out of there as quickly as possible. Essentially, third time around. We saw that with Tyler Anderson pitching a really good game in game four of the NLDS. He's out. The bullpen carousel starts again. They did this every single game. On the other side, you've got Bob Melvin with the Padres, where he allowed his three starting pitchers, Darvish, Snell, Musgrove to pitch to the top of the Dodger lineup. And that's not an ordinary top of the Dodger lineup. You're talking about Betts, Turner, Freeman. He allowed them to pitch to the top of the lineup every game that they won, games two, three, and four. And now if you go back and you look at the innings pitched by starting uh, starting pitchers this year, well, of the five of the top six, all of them are in the final five in terms of still standing in the playoff structure. Astros, Mm -hmm. Guardians, Yankees, Padres, Phillies, they're all there because they don't go to that bullpen every night early. So, Joe, do you believe that that had a lot to do with how the Dodgers went out? I mean, maybe they just went to that carousel too quickly, too early. Well, yeah, over the course of 162 games, I I understand uh, the process, I think, uh, to a certain extent. But like I've talked to you about before, I'm into trends, and the trend is the playoffs. It's different. It's just different in the playoffs, and you can't rely on the large sample size all the time. So, yeah, I, I think maybe moving forward, they may reevaluate it. Again, uh, I, I'm not smart enough to know that if my pitcher's pitching well, it's time to take him out. Um, if I'm watching, the stuff is good. You watch the reaction of the hitter at that particular moment. Um, you can see late on, on uh, fastball. You can see breaker balls actually getting better command confidence when he comes in after the inning when he comes into the uh, dugout you can see how he walks in you can watch him sitting there there's different things you're going to look at other than just a pitch count number or the inning that we're in Um, all this stuff should matter it does matter Uh, and some groups like to be more sterile 
Um, and with that, then when you're making decisions just based on those numbers, I understand from your perspective, uh, whomever's doing it, it's somewhat easier and it's more definable and it doesn't require feel, experience, wisdom, whatever, because it's hard to evaluate those kind of things. But I appreciate what Dusty does and I appreciate what um, uh, Bowmel's done. Now, listen, I, I think David has done a wonderful job. I, I'm a big fan of Dave Roberts also, but it's just, again, organizational philosophies are different. Yeah, and how about this matchup here in the NLCS of managers? You've got Rob Thompson, baseball lifer, right? I think he's been in the game about 37 years, gets mm-hmm. his first opportunity to be a big league manager this year when the Phillies fired Joe Girardi after a 22-29 and 29 start. You mentioned Bob Melvin. He's been around a long time. I've always thought he's done a great job with bullpen usage. He actually has managed the fourth most number of games of anybody who has not won a pennant, and now he's four wins away from getting there. Uh, Joe, as someone who took a long time to get your first big league job, and we talked about this a lot in the book, you were ready for it at that age, at the age of 52, and the struggle to get there was part of the really the charm of being in the game. But how about those two guys sitting there, what you feel for those two guys getting their first chance to, to go to a World Series? Couldn't be happier. First of all, I'm happy for Robbie that he got that job and they made it official. He absolutely deserves the opportunity. I was very pleased that it worked out that way for him. I, I don't know Robbie well, just to say hi in uh, a conversation, but I've watched him work with the Yankees. I know the respect that his uh, players, the teammates have for him and, and other coaches in the game. So could not be happier for the man. And Bo Mel and I have always <clears throat> communicated. I think he does a great job. Actually, I think I told Andrew at one time, listen, when you fire me, you should hire Bob Melvin. I think I told him that specifically. Uh, I like the way he goes about his business. Um, yeah, uh, he's on top of things. There's no question about it. Um, when it comes to bullpen usage, I think I know he communicates and relates well with his group. Uh, so I'm a big fan of his also. It, uh, both these guys, uh, you wish them nothing but the best. And you're right. I mean, you wait. Um, Bobby didn't have to wait as long as I did or uh, Robbie has. But when you wait that long, you should feel um, convicted in what you believe and what you want to say to your guys. There's no real gray areas left and you're not searching. You've, you've done these kind of things before. Maybe not on the major league level, but you have the experience of doing them before. Yeah, I love that. By the way, quick story on Rob Thompson. Of course, he was with the Yankees for many years. He would run their spring trainings every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was really influenced by George Steinbrenner when it comes to attention to detail. And he told a great story that uh, Steinbrenner would take him to Tampa Bay Lightning games and he'd pick him up at the minor league complex. And every time that George would pick him up, he as he's driving out of the parking lot, he would notice certain cars that were backed into their spots. And he would always ask Rob Thompson, whose car is that? Whose car is that? And Rob said, why do you want to know know, whose car that is? He said, because the guys who back into their spots are the ones who are in a hurry to get out of work. I'm not sure I want those kind of guys working for me. (laughs) He didn't miss a thing. The boss. A little bit bit too deep for me. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, when we get back. Once I saw this play happen, I knew I had to ask Joe Madden about it. I can't believe it goes on in the major leagues. I want to get his take on it. You'll want to hear this when we get back to the Book of Joe. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. 
That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Book of Joe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Book of Joe. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast with Tom Perducci and Joe Madden. And Joe, the play that I referenced earlier, it reminds me of Little League. First and third, where the runner, in this case it was Juan Soto, is literally dancing into second base without a play being made on him. Now, I get it. It's first and third. There's two strikes on the batter. There's two outs. The go-ahead run is at third base. Mm -hmm. You don't want a middle infielder to vacate his position open up a hole on a ground ball and you lose the game because you're defending the runner at first and allowing the runner on third to score. I get it, but it's the big leagues. There has to be a way to defend that play without giving up that base so freely. And that base, by the way, was huge because it became a two-run lead for that San Diego bullpen rather than a one-run game. And it was game over with Juan Soto being allowed, and I mean allowed, to take second base. And I went back and I asked some of the people with the Padres. It turns out the Dodgers did not defend that play the entire season. So the Padres had free reign to run Soto knowing that there's not even a chance they're going to put on a play. Now, if you run a play, a defensive play against that play at all during the season, at least you create some doubt in your mind on the Padres side. And maybe Soto doesn't run, or at least you think about it. But to me, Joe, should never happen in the big leagues where there's a 100% chance of anything. And this was 100% that the second run was going to move up for free into scoring position. So I want to hear your take about this. Well, in in spring training, I do this all the time. We go through that particular play. And uh, easy concept is early in the game. Early in the game, you're trying to stay out of a big inning, that first and third situation. Um, Yes, you go ahead and you throw through. 
You try to get N out. I'll take the out at second base. I'll even give them a run under those circumstances to avoid a big inning. So that's uh, uh, that's the exactly how I describe it during camp. And um, so we have a specific play designed for that. where you are going to throw through as opposed to maybe arm fake throw to third or just holding on to the ball completely. Uh, there's other plays that have been done in the past, but it's really been reduced to the, those two specific things or uh, simple things. The other one is uh, the latter part of the game. <clears throat> one of the things um, I really want them to be able to do under those circumstances is earn the run from third base. Uh, earn it by have to hit the ball. They have to put it in play. They got to move the baseball as opposed to have the runner stop, trying to steal the run that way, possibly a bad throw by the catcher. Again, who's who's the hitter? Who's the runner at first? How quick is the pitcher to the plate? All these things are a factor in this particular moment. So for me, I'm more than likely not throwing through, even though, and I agree with you that you do know, and I've had I've been in this position uh, where um, even though we're not going to throw, I know now that winning run's going to get the second base, and that's that bothers me, hundred percent. It bothers me, but that's a chance you may have to take, or you do may you may take uh, in order to not have them score that other run by not even having to move the baseball. So uh, there's different ways of looking at it. I think that's what we saw right there. Uh, I uh, I don't even know if I saw all last year uh, when you did throw through, when we did throw through or the last couple years, that there was even an attempt to try to steal home plate on the throw through to second base. There's other things you can do where the, the runner at third bluffs so that the second baseman shortstop come in to ensure the fact that the uh, runners steal second base. So it's a long, convoluted answer. Early in the game, I'm throwing through. Let, latter part of the game, if it's a one-run lead, I may choose to not throw through because I want them to earn the run. Yeah, it's it's all, as you said, there are many variables yeah. to it, but I can tell anybody who's going to be watching the NLCS, if that situation occurs with the Phillies, mm-hmm. they're throwing through. Mm-hmm. I talked to JT Realmuto about this. He He's like me. He doesn't think you should allow free bases in the major leagues. He said, we're essentially playing a game of catch between me and the middle infielder. You're telling me we can't execute two throws before that runner comes in? Now, you do take a risk. I get that. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. But as they, they run the play, they have the second baseman usually covering. He comes into the grass or near the grass right. uh, towards the first base side of second base. So he's cutting the distance between first base and the runner while obviously keeping an eye on third. So the way the Phillies run it is, that's not a free base. I, I think that at least puts doubt in the Padres' mind that if they're in that situation, mm-hmm. they'd be, better be prepared that the Phillies may defend that runner going to second base, that it's not a total free base. And for me, Joe, anything in this game where you create doubt in your opponent, yep. I'm all for it. Yeah, the other thing is, I mean, with that, um, the runner at third base has to be aggressive, and that's where the other play comes into with the full arm fake throw to third, and you got to know your runner at third. There's times you will designate before a series begin, we're going to go after a particular runner because we know Sometimes he could fall asleep or sometimes he gets overly aggressive. So there's so many different ways to evaluate that. And furthermore, Rio Mudo, just by the way he spoke to you, is very confident that he can uh, complete that play. Some guys aren't as confident. Uh, the other thing is who's the relay guy who's throwing the ball back to the plate? What does his arm look like? And then furthermore, I mean, the pitcher's time to the plate. All this stuff matters. Um, so you have to, again, it's, it's not just one size fits all for me. I would evaluate all these things before I decide. But overarching, early in the game, we're, we're going to get uh, stay out of the beginning. Latter part of the game, they have to earn their run. Yeah, and at the risk of getting a little bit 
deeper into the defensive positioning weeds. <laughs> right. I had to bring this up. It didn't decide the game, but it was early in the game, the deciding game the Padres won. Freddie Freeman is batting with Mookie on third base and Trey Turner on second. Early in the game, scoreless game, the Padres have Will Myers, the first baseman, playing in on the grass on Freddie Freeman. I didn't get that at all. And Freddie, of course, hits a ground ball that if, if Myers is playing back, one run scores. Instead, playing up, he can't get to it. It goes by him for a double two-run score. I checked with some people with the Padres, and there was a lot of eye rolling. They realized that they, that was a mistake. Sure. That, that was just not good defensive positioning that early in the game. A hundred percent. There's there's no other way to look at it. Uh, Will is a, a, a first baseman uh, in the latter part of his career right now. I love Will, but... There's times I'm sure that he really does need to be directed. That that to me is is definitely on the player, but it's also that got to come from the bench too. Uh, somebody specifically in charge of, of positioning for infield defense per per batter, and I I was in charge of that at some point. It's tedious, man. You got to stay on top of it. You can't fall asleep. You can't start watching the ball. What happens sometimes? You start watching the baseball, and when you're coaching, you cannot follow the ball. You're watching anything but the ball. When when the when that moment occurs when the pitch is being thrown, so I would as a hitting coach I'd never watch the ball as a if I'm uh, as a catching coach I'm not watching the ball infield instructor I got to get to my defenders before the ball is thrown so you can't watch the ball you got to watch everything else and finally one more on defensive positioning this involves something in your belly wick as you like to say catching mm-hmm. okay the Padres are they're big <laughs> on not yeah. using the one knee stance behind the plate. Francisco Cervelli, who was hired this year as their catching instructor, he told Aaron Nola, yep. Austin Nola, rather, you're not doing it anymore. He tried it last year. Nola did. It didn't work well. He had some leg injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cervelli, big proponent of using the old school way behind the dish. Joe, there's been a lot of debate about catching. You're, you have such a history with instructing and, and playing the position. What's your take on the one knee stance we see a lot of teams use? I don't like it. Um, I, uh, as a catcher, um, I would always instruct my catchers. You can go to one knee with less than two strikes and nobody on base. That was always the thing. Cause if you just needed a rest, it was more from a rest perspective, not being up on your, in your stance all the time. So with less than two strikes, it doesn't have to ball, uh, block the ball. And with nobody on base, you don't have to block the ball. Go ahead and, and chill. Remember Tony Pena used to literally sit on his butt. Uh, to get a ball down in the strike zone. And sometimes that's another reason. If a pitcher just can't get the ball down, I would ask my guys to to sit or get to one knee like that just to force him down in the strike zone. Now, I'm going to defend this too in a sense because I've seen guys block pitches that starting on one knee that I didn't think they can do. I really didn't. I I, I was baffled and I'm, I'm impressed by the technique that's evolved for the group that has learned how to catch off of one knee. So, I thought that wouldn't happen. It has happened. I'll defend that. The part that I think is difficult, the bad habit occurs from throwing. When you get to one knee with the runner on base, sometimes you can it can become more problematic to just receive the ball and throw it. Um, your, your footwork can get screwed up unless the pitch is in a perfect spot. So uh, last point, too, and nobody's talking about this. I can't believe the umpires let them get away with it. This this framing component where <laughs> where the where the glove is moving so much before and I'm watching look some of the games on TV and you see guys pull balls that I knew back in the day you'd never get that call. I would prefer umpires to say, "Hey, listen, stop pulling pitches. You're not getting anything." Now you're going to you're going to hear from the 
the fact that these guys are so scrutinized with an obvious box painted on the television screen. But if I'm an umpire, I would tell guys, stop pulling that. Stop pulling those pitches on me, man. You're not going to get them. And that used to be a part of the conversation back then when this wasn't as scrutinized. If they thought you were pulling, framing uh, too much, too obviously, then you would get reprimanded by the umpire. So um, I prefer tried and true. Absolutely. I'm okay with one knee. Less than two strikes, nobody on base to catch a break or to get the ball down in the strike zone. They're doing it right now for the elephant kind of thing where they're trying to they move the gloves so much prior to the pitch being thrown that it's easier to do that from one knee where the, that, that, that glove hand, the receiving hand, can move more freely based on that particular stance as opposed to a more conventional stance. It's all tied together. I prefer the traditional, but there are times I, I'm okay with one knee. Good stuff, Joe. Hey, when we get back with the Book of Joe podcast, I want to ask Joe about what it's like actually being in the dugout for a postseason game. When, as he said, he said this in our book, it's kind of like the Starship Enterprise taking off. The speed of the game down there in the dugout, especially in the postseason, well, it's a lot faster than you might think. We'll dive into that next. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast. And I mentioned, Joe, the speed of the game. We talk about the speed of the game, maybe velocity, pitchers, foot speed, runners, ball coming off the bat. But how about for a manager? Did you feel that running postseason games – um, that the game was a little bit different given everything at stake and some of these crowds, especially when you're on the road. Yeah, you just, well, you have to be on top of it even more. Um, 
you know, you have to make maybe decisions then that you wouldn't normally make during the season. You'd be a bit more tolerant or patient during the season where the playoffs, you're less tolerant, less patient. Um, yeah, it's when you're sitting up at that uh, bird's eye level, looking down, everything appears to be so slow, but uh, it is it, like we've talked about. It is like when the starship takes off and you get that blur in its wake as it moves away in the, the old Star Trek uh, show. It's like that. Uh, and so for me, that's why you got to play the game before the game. That's for me when you've never done it before and you're asked to do it. I don't get it. I mean, I've needed all these years of experience in order to process and slow the game down in those moments, regular season. Then it gets even uh, more magnified in the postseason. But it comes down to your process. And again, your preparation for me before the game permits me to slow the game down in game. I'll tell you when it gets crazy is in a National League game, uh, in a National League playoff game, when you really have to keep an eye on your pitcher as you're trying to move things around to the point, the time um, with I brought Chapman, and I can't remember the game against the Dodgers, what number it was, but I brought him in early and I counted the hitters through and he was going to be eighth up the next inning. So I thought, he gets through this inning, we could use him the next inning also. But here comes a bases loaded two-out situation, and here's his at-bat. I think we were tied or down or up by one run, something like that. Anyway, I had to go to Montero, and I had to take him out of the game, but I'd done all my counting. Uh, I was right about that, but the inning got extended. Montero, it's a two-strike grand slam, fortuitous. Um, so the National League preparation of the National League game under these circumstances, to me, was more difficult than the American League game because you don't have to keep an eye on your pitcher batting. Yes, you always are in advance. You're always in advance of every moment. And that's something you have to think about before the inning begins. You're thinking about the pitfalls. Yeah, that's interesting. You think about the pitfalls. Yeah, you, you talked about Montero. Yeah. If Montero doesn't come through yeah. there, you're in a tie game and your closer's yeah, done. correct. There's no more correct. chat. And that, that's just, you have to make that decision right there. And, and again, you did the due process leading into that moment. You counted it out. It was unlikely that he was going to come up that inning, but he did. And then there's no way you're going to let him hit right there in a tie game just to um, permit him to go back out there and pitch. So you roll the dice, 0-2 breaking ball, slider cutter from Blanton to Miggy. And I'll tell you what, that's one of the loudest home runs I've heard in that ballpark. Yeah, that was amazing. And speaking of loud, the seventh inning at Petco Park in game four in the NLDS was crazy loud, let me tell you. But I want to go to where it started, Joe. It was a leadoff walk with a 3 nothing lead. Tommy Canely on the mound for the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I feel like watching these postseason games that a leadoff walk, it, it doesn't start a rally. It is a rally. It's, it just seems to be an incredible momentum changer. It feels like in these <laughs> postseason games, you give a team a base. Uh, it's going to come back and bite you. So, you know, do you feel sometimes that you do have to be quicker to get a pitcher out? I know there's a three batter minimum rule, so you're not going to take them out after one batter. You can't do it. But right. um, the idea that you have to kind of stave momentum as quickly as possible in a postseason game. How about that? That's why it's harder to nail it down with all these relief pitchers because you have to face three hitters. I was talking about that. I think we talked about that earlier, this this matchup component in the latter part of the game. Uh, theoretically, back in the day, not bad. I mean, if I have a, this nice yin and yang, righties and lefties to work with and you're working against the lineup that they're not going to pinch hit for. And if you know they're going to pinch hit for, that's where you utilize your reverse split guy. I mean, there's all these different things that you think about uh, in advance. But right now, to nail down that many innings when the guy's got to face three, you've got to have some really good relief pitchers, I think. Um, 
Listen, I've had some good pens. I've got some good guys, but it's really an unnerving thought to think that you have to nail down the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth on an on a continual basis. Where these guys, and again, we've talked about it, relief pitchers are held to this impossible standard of being perfect, having to be perfect all the time. So, all this stuff in consideration, man, it's hard to match it up. And I agree with you. A walk in and late in the game, especially in a playoff game, is is a rally. You're absolutely correct. There's a different mindset that that evolves around that as opposed to a hit uh, from the pitcher's perspective. I lost the plate. All of a sudden, we got a runner. The manager, everybody starts squirming in the dugout, and it's felt everywhere. And speaking of the Phillies, by the way, um, they got they have a couple of players that you're very familiar with managing them: Kyle Schwarber, Brandon Marsh. I look at this Phillies team. I don't know. It mm-hmm. just maybe because they're winning five postseason games so far, but the mix of players there seems to be very good. I think there is a little bit of vibe of the 2016 Cubs for me with this position player group. Um, but give me an insight on guys like Schwarber and Marsh and, and a fan watching them on TV here. They can understand a little bit more about them other than that. They're really good players. Castellanos. Nikki's another one. I had Nikki too. love Nikki. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, the, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm just use, um, uh, Schwarber as like the, uh, hood ornament here, like the old Merc that was sticking out proudly as the car drove down the street. He's just fearless. Um, watch him, watch him. Uh, he's got a, a really, I want the word is the right word is not casual, a relaxed, uh, non, uh, there's no tension whatsoever in his, in his approach. And I think that rubs off on the rest of the group, even some of the guys that have been there for a while. Um, I think, the it starts with Schwarbs. Uh, I don't know, Marshy, uh, Brandon, in spite of his youth is really a present tense guy. He's able, like he'll punch out, he'll punch out, but that's not going to bother the next at bat. If he makes a mistake in the field, that's not going to bother the next play. He has a fearlessness about his game also that I love. And Nicky is one of the most confident players I've ever been around. Uh, Nicky would come up to me before every game and say, happy opening day. <laughs> every day he'd come up to me and never got old. And the thing about Nick, if Nick gets hot, which he seems to be doing right now, and this he's not an analytical maven because he's going after that first pitch a lot and it doesn't have to be a strike, he starts missing outfielders. The ball goes line, gap, gap, line when he hits it. So you got three fearless players, uh, three guys that I, I they don't overanalyze it. They don't take it too deeply. They do their work. They're great workers, uh, but they definitely live in the moment. And I think the rest of that group is feeling the same thing from them. By the way, I'm glad you brought up hood ornaments. What happened to hood ornaments? I'm not talking about, <laughs> you know, the Rolls Royce. It's probably the most famous one. Right. You didn't have to be a luxury car to have a hood ornament back in the day, right? No, my, my Bel Air's got a really groovy looking like jet kind of a thing on the front of it. I love that. I mean, I've got an old Beamer with the old Beamer little emblem on there. I love emblems. I love ornaments on, on vehicles. I just had my um, 1990 454 SS pickup redone, and the guy wanted to know, who did a great job in Phoenix, Mark wanted to know, um, do you want me to put the emblems back on? I said, of course I do. Don't change anything. Don't take anything off this thing. I think uh, that's the beauty of the car. I love all of that. And you're right. But I remember the Merc. The Merc had that, the dude with the helmet with their, was that Pontiac sticking out? Uh, no, it was really Mercury. Proudly, yeah, that was the God um, Mercury, on the, on the, right? On the, on the, on the, <laughs> dude with the helmet. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Exactly. It was, uh, yeah, I, I, I love that stuff. I think cars miss we're missing the boat with our vehicles anymore. I really uh, 
don't like that. Yeah, even those old Oldsmobiles had a hood ornament. Well, how about the grill on my sticking 59, up out of the my '59 uh, El Camino? The grill on that is just an intricate grill, and and it's all this little details, and it's it's chrome, which I like. I like chrome over plastic any day of the week. I want a real bumper that if you you know five miles an hour you hit something, it just laughs at it. It doesn't crumble. I mean, we've gotten away from all the really cool things about cars. I love the chrome. I love the two-tone paint. Um, I love the the interiors being uh, different, uh, the herringbone, whatever. Uh, I miss all that stuff. Cool stuff. Well, the next time we talk, Joe, we'll talk about a couple of hood ornaments in the NLCS, Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. How about those two guys? 30 years old. They were free agents at the same time. They both signed with teams that hadn't won in at least six years. I'm talking about a winning season. Padres, in their case, have never won a World Series. Philly's been a long time for them, going back to 08. I, I can't wait to see those two guys match up, Machado and Harper. So uh, without giving anything away here, is there a team you like in that series? Oh, I, I, listen, I'm, I, I like – I mean, you've met you Darvish is pitching. I, I'm still been, I've been texting with you lately. I love you Darvish. Um, the other side, I probably have a little bit more invested on the Philly side including like Bo and all those guys, uh, Larry Boa, Charlie Manuel, the guys that I really like there, Sammy Folds, the GM, that's another guy. So, I mean, I play that game internally uh, a little bit, but uh, I think it's going to be very entertaining. I do. You got two seeing with first-time eyes, feeling with first-time passion groups. Uh, you're going to see all-out efforts every night. You're going to see um, some some guys, like, like what Grisham has been doing, who's not supposed to be doing that. All of a sudden, he gets hot. You're going to see that again. Uh, it should be a fascinating series. Both managers, I think, are going to manage the game and not be overtly influenced by numbers. So I, I kind of dig on that, too. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think it looks like a seven-game series. And I love the fact that those venues there, those people are starved to see their teams get to and win a World Series. So there's energy in the ballpark from the very first pitch to the last. Can't wait for it. So next time we talk, we'll have a couple of games to talk about out of both LCSs, the American League and the National League. Joe? Looking forward to the next one. Always a pleasure. My pleasure, Tommy. Thank you. See you next time on the Book of Joe podcast. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host 
of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.